Please open your Bible with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This morning we'll be observing the Lord's Supper, an ordinance given to the church by Christ himself. Now the Lord's Supper, his memorial supper, is given to the church not as a suggestion, but rather our Lord commands us to keep it, just as he commands us to baptize those who profess faith in him. He also commands us to observe a remembrance of his broken body and shed blood through which he accomplished our salvation. Look there in verse 24. And when our Lord had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. He did not say, This you ought to do, Rather, our king commands us, this do in remembrance of me. And so, my friend, when the king of kings and the Lord of lords says, this do, his people do. Now, there's much superstition and error attached to the general practice of our Lord's ordinance. For example, the Roman Catholics teach that when the bread enters your mouth, it mystically is changed into the flesh and body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And also, when the wine enters your mouth, it's mystically changed into his blood, so that one is actually, literally speaking, according to their teaching, eating the body of Christ and actually drinking his blood. They call it the Eucharist bread and wine. Even in some Baptists, churches, and other churches, They have attached such things as personal worthiness to it. That is, they believe before one can partake of the bread and the wine, one has to be worthy to partake of the Lord's table. Now, for the life of me, I can't see how anyone could ever think himself worthy to be a partaker of the body and blood of Christ. Now, if anyone can do that, I'm certain they're not thinking about the Lord or for that matter, God's grace to us through his Son. You see, it's not through any self-merit or self-worthiness that we're called to partake of his table. Rather, it's by his grace we are saved through faith. And even the faith that justifies us, beloved, it's not of ourselves. Now, don't misunderstand me. Most certainly, the believer has faith, but the object of his faith is not his own faith, or his own worthiness, but rather is the faith and worthiness of Christ. And so any professing Christian who thinks himself worthy knows nothing about the precious gift of saving faith. My friend, if God should ever give you saving faith, the very first thing he'll show you is your own unworthiness. The Pharisee says, walk the walk. And while I do want to live a life that is pleasing to our Lord and adorn the doctrine of our God and Savior in all things, in salvation, God shows me by the light of his darling Son. Indeed, he has so lit up my life 
that I am made to know that the only one who has walked the walk is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father gave us His grace to follow after the perfect God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, my friend, the only one who walked the walk is the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the way. He's the only one who's never made talk cheap. He said, I'm the truth. He's the only one who's never had murder in his heart. He said, I'm the life. My friend, do you want to know the way to heaven? He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. Another thing that gets attached to this ordinance is church membership. In the religion that comes from man, they'll try to police who may and who may not partake of the Lord's table. That is, you have to be a member of their ism in order to partake of the table. And indeed, you might find a local church that at least on the surface appears to believe what we believe, but then you find they don't let certain people partake. And so if you weren't a member of that local church, then you couldn't take of the bread or take of the wine. It's quite a contrast with what we read in the scriptures. God's word says, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. It doesn't say, let the pastor or the elders or the deacons examine him. And then others have certain days when the Lord's Supper is to be observed, and they attach certain rules concerning how the leftovers are to be disposed of. In some free will churches, for example, they state in their book of worship, and beloved, aren't you glad that where the gospel is preached, the only book of worship we have is the word of God? Well, anyway, they write in their so-called book of worship, quote, if any bread and wine remain, they should always be disposed of by one, the pastor and or others at the pastor's direction consuming them in a reverent manner following the service, and second, returning them to the earth by pouring, burning, scattering, or burying. Another man-made issue that gets attached to this ordinance is the issue of not using wine. For example, in 1964, rather 1864, I should say, the General Conference of One Denomination expressly recommended, or one could say commanded, that in all cases the pure juice of the grape be used in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And not too long after that, in 1865, Dr. Welch, an inventor and so-called minister-slash-dentist, developed a method of pasteurizing grape juice so that fermentation was stopped, so the result was a drink that was non-alcoholic. He even persuaded local churches to adopt this non-alcoholic wine for communion service and peddled it as Dr. Welch's unfermented wine. And even today, many churches still use it. Now, it's not wine. Rather, it's just grape juice. Now, you can call it wine if you want to, but simply put, it is not wine. And still in other churches, not only do they not use wine, but also they don't use unleavened bread. Some other churches attach ceremonial pageantry to the table. You know, they use altar boys 
and certain instruments carried by the priests to put the bread and wine into your mouth. Now, our Lord didn't put this bread and wine into the disciples' mouths when he gave it. Rather, he broke the bread and passed it out, and they ate the bread. Beloved, the Lord's Supper, like baptism, is a very simple and plain picture of our salvation and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, baptism pictures our union with Christ, dying with him, being buried with him, and being raised up in him unto everlasting life. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and beginning in verse 1, we read there in God's word, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. You see, baptism is the believer's confession of faith. Now, if you went into the water with no understanding, just because somebody told you you had to go into the water, you didn't confess anything, let alone Christ. No, no. Baptism is for believers, and it's the believer's confession of faith. You see, if you don't understand what you're doing, then all you did was get wet. And I know all about that. I was dunked in 1995, and, you know, they told me I needed to to do that, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, like a soldier puts on a uniform. And so I was baptized to put on a show, I guess, But it wasn't until I heard with the ear of faith that I understand that baptism is a picture of my union with Christ. What a gospel. He's all my justification. He's all of my sanctification. He's all of my salvation. My friend, he's all you need to be saved. A full and complete pardon of sin and a perfect righteousness acceptable to God. You see, my friend, when I say I'm saved by the doing and dying of Christ, I'm confessing that he's all my salvation. By his death, by his sin-atoning blood he shed for me, he redeemed me from the curse of the law, paying my debt in full for all my sins. And by his life, that righteous life he lived out as my representative man, he reconciled me to God, my heavenly Father. And so when I was baptized, I understood, having been given an understanding, not by man, not by my faithful pastor, but through the gospel my pastor faithfully preached. God was pleased to reveal Christ in me and give me an understanding.
our Lord teaches us, it is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me for all their salvation. Beloved, we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding. And beloved, you know you didn't figure this out. Rather, by God's grace, it was given to us that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in God's Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the true God and eternal life. And so if you believe the gospel, if you believe Christ, if he has given you an understanding, then you ought to be baptized. Now, not to be saved, but because, beloved, you already are. And the same thing is applicable to the Lord's table. Now, if you don't have an understanding of these things, and you just eat the bread and drink the wine and have no understanding of what it means, all you've done personally is gone through a meaningless religious ceremony. You see, the Lord's table is a symbolic picture of the redemption we have in Christ. It pictures his body which was broken for us. Isn't that what he said when he broke the bread? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see there in verse 24, our Lord saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ, in covenant union with his people, took to himself their flesh and their bones in order to represent them. And so, as a representative man, he represents his people to both perform the law and to pay its penalty, in order to bear their sins in his own body on the tree and to raise them up from the dead and be justified in God's sight in the highest court of heaven. You see, man is dead in trespasses and sins. And no matter what he does, he continues to sin. Have you ever thought about that? No matter what man does, he continues to sin. And it doesn't matter if he quits gambling, if he quits drinking and joins a church and reforms his life, he still continues to sin. It doesn't matter if he goes to seminary and learns expository preaching, whatever that means, and takes a church and becomes their pastor. He's still a sinner. He still sins. If he tithes of all his possessions and gives himself completely to the ministry and lives on the mission field, he still continues to sin. My friend, there's nothing, absolutely nothing, a natural man can do by his own deeds to justify himself before God or redeem himself from his sins. And so Paul cries out as a carnal man, sold under sin, as one who wanted to do good, but evil was still present in him. And he said, O wretched man that I am. O wretched man that I am. How many of us gathered here this morning can say that? Turn with me to Romans chapter 7. Look there with me in verse 24. The Apostle Paul and every blood-bought sinner with him cries out, 
O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And my friend, there's only one answer to that question. Verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this blessed ordinance, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, is sometimes referred to as communion. Do you know what communion means? It means common union. That's what it means. Beloved, salvation is through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our representative and substitute, who took our place before the holy law of God. Indeed, taking our place before the judgment bar of God's uncompromising justice. I pray that no one in this place believes for a second that they can redeem themselves by their half-hearted obedience or righteousness. My friend, surely you're not thinking to yourself that you're going to go out and meet a holy and just God based on your present performance, thoughts, and deeds. Certainly not in the filthy ruined rags of your own righteousness. Surely you're not satisfied by your own works to go and meet the living God. I trust nobody gathered in this auditorium this morning feels that they're worthy to merit eternal life based on their good intentions and commitments. Have you not read the scriptures? My friend, we don't merit eternal life. Rather, God's people inherit it through the grace that God has purposed to give us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Indeed, my friend, there's only one hope for any man, woman, or child in this place today, and it's this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ, God's darling Son, came into this world and by His own righteousness and shed blood, by His broken body and death on the cross, redeemed us from our sins, clothed us in His perfect righteousness, and raised us up out of the graveyard of humanity to become a son of God. My friend, that's the only hope there is. Indeed, there isn't any hope anywhere else save Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so the simple truth of this ordinance is this. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, The Apostle writes in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Beloved, when you eat this bread and drink this wine, you do show the Lord's death till he returns. And so you picture it, you show it. Indeed, you declare him to be for you your only hope of salvation. And we do these things in memory of him. That is, remembering what he's done for us. What did he do? Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. We read there, beginning in verse 1, God's word declaring. 
Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Warfare accomplished. What happens when warfare is accomplished? Peace. Peace. By the doing and dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only has he paid the penalty of the law, but he's performed the law. Turn over two chapters in Isaiah to chapter 42. And we read about our Lord and Savior performing the law on behalf of his covenant people in verse 21. Speaking of our Heavenly Father, we read there how the Lord, our Heavenly Father, is well pleased for His righteousness' sake. He's well pleased with His Son. In that life, He lived out as our representative, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says here, He will magnify the law and make it honorable. And beloved, He already has. (laughs) He has established a perfect righteousness on the earth as a man on behalf of his people. And not only that, beloved, he has paid the penalty of the law. Now, in the Lord's table, we see, first of all, pictured for us, a communion, and then secondly, it's a supper. Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 6. Now, during... This time, before our Lord gave his life a ransom for his people, the Lord had multitudes of men following him. And they saw his miracles. They saw the good things that he did. And they said, we believe that this is the Christ. Now, they didn't know what Christ came to do. They didn't know a whole lot about him. But they thought that he was the Christ. And then Christ began to teach them something about his death. Listen to what he says there in verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. My friend, that that is not talking about the bread and wine being transformed into his physical body. That's not what it's talking about. Indeed, if you read further on in the chapter, that even though the Lord said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they still thought what he was teaching was to literally eat and drink his body and blood. And they said, this is a hard saying. Who can receive this? And they turned away, and they wouldn't walk with him anymore. They said, he's crazy. The Lord said, my words are spirit. That is, 
they're spiritually understood, spiritually spoken, spoken to believers. You see, our Lord was talking about the daily sustenance of faith, and saving faith eats and drinks Christ the Lord. It recognizes him as coming down from heaven as the living manna, the bread of life coming down from God. It recognizes him as being given by God to produce life and sustain life. It recognizes that like the manna, there's nothing else to eat in the wilderness. And you'll find it where God gives it. You'll gather it in a time when he tells you acceptable to him. And if you are to gather more of it, it will only be when he's pleased to give it to you. Beloved, Christ is the bread of life. And what we'll do here in just a few minutes is an act of faith. You see, the wine is just wine. It'll be wine in the cup, and it'll be wine going past your lips. The bread is just bread. It will be bread in your hand, and it will continue to be bread going past your lips. It's not going to change. But the picture of this ordinance and what we show when we take that broken, unleavened bread is our Lord's pureness as a representative man. Our Heavenly Father made His well-pleasing, beloved Son to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him, in our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, it's an act of your personal faith that pictures your redemption and union with Christ. And so we eat that broken bread and drink the bruised grape as an act of faith. And you take these elements, the bread and the wine, you're going to take it in and it pictures ever so blessedly our union with Christ when those elements become a part of you. And so his faith His word, indeed the word of God, these spiritual things, they become a part of us and we eat those things. We eat that broken bread and drink that bruised grape as an act of faith declaring the very basis and foundation of our hope before God. My friend, if the Lord Jesus Christ did not represent you when he was born in that manger, when he magnified the law and made it honorable, when he was judged before Pilate in this world, when he was nailed on that cross, then put to death and buried in that tomb and raised from the dead and ascended to sit on the throne of God. My friend, if he did not represent you, then you still have the judgment of God to face and that eternal death to die. In Hebrews chapter 9 and chapter 10, the apostle goes to great lengths to set before us the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gets down toward the end of chapter 10 and writes... If we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. My friend, if you sin willfully, now the apostle is not talking about sinning willfully in a general way. We all sin willfully. Rather, what he's talking about is this. If you sin willfully and leave that which has been set before you as the only atoning sacrifice for your sins, if you leave Christ and Him crucified, then there's nothing left for you. There's no more sacrifice for sin. And Christ is the only sacrifice for sin. If you leave Him, if you leave His bruised body and His shed blood, 
If you leave the once-for-all sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and you go on to establish some other hope, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins for you. Just a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation. Because, my friend, Christ is the only propitiation for sin. The scripture saith, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And it tells us, By the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Is there anyone present this morning who thinks to themselves, well, I'm going to produce my own righteousness. Yes, I'm justified by Christ, but I'm going to walk under the law to help my sanctification. My friend, cursed is everyone who continueth not in all things written in the book of the law to do them. That curse was given when God gave the law, and faith looks only and ever to Christ. It rejoices in Christ, it rests in Christ, it follows after Christ, and it eats his flesh and drinks his blood. This is the Lord's Supper. It's a feast of faith. And further, the Lord's table is an ordinance. We're commanded by the Lord to observe it. My friend, he didn't say, well, you ought to do this. Rather, he says emphatically, this do. This do in memory of me. And there's only one thing to prevent you this morning from taking this supper, and it's this. If you don't understand what it means, then don't partake of the table. For to do so in such a fashion is to partake of it with no God-given understanding. If you did that, you would be eating and drinking unworthily, eating and drinking damnation to yourself, not discerning the Lord's body. And so if you don't understand these things, don't partake of it, because you'll eat and drink to yourself damnation if you do. Now, there's a deplorable practice in some places, and they like to use the Lord's table as a means to settle disputes, differences, or exercise what they call church discipline. And what they'll say is, because of the things you do or don't do, you're not worthy to eat. Or you're not worthy to partake of the table because you're out of fellowship with this one or that one. Or you've done this or you've done that. Let's read what the Apostle Paul writes. Indeed, what God's Word says about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In verse 26. The Apostle writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. God's word doesn't say for the church to examine him. It doesn't say for a board of deacons to examine him. Rather, God's word sets forth emphatically, let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread. You know, Judas ate of the bread, and the Lord let him. And Judas had no idea what the bread and the wine meant. 
and he ate and drank to himself damnation. And so let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body, not understanding what his broken body and his shed blood means. That's the only thing that would make one partake of this table in an unworthy manner or unworthily. Beloved, we partake of the Lord's table, discerning how that his body was a sacrifice for sin, that his body was a representative body by which our sins could be put away and God could be both the just and the justifier of those who believe on Christ. Beloved, we take of the Lord's table, discerning his death to be particular, effectual, and personal. Our Lord did not say, this is my body which is broken for everybody. Rather, beloved, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. You know, sometimes people get the wrong idea about what we're saying concerning the death of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ came and lived and died and reigns in glory for the salvation of his elect. And his elect are scattered abroad throughout all the earth of every kindred, nation, tribe, and people under heaven, Jews and Gentiles, white and black, and everything in between. John said he's the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. My friend, there's just one propitiation, and not just for the Jews, but for any nation, any people, anywhere. There's just one propitiation, and that propitiation for sin is Christ. So any man, anywhere, can look to him and believe on him and trust in him. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Are you willing? Take it. Are you thirsty? Drink it. Are you hungry? Eat the bread. I say this without any reservation. If you're willing to come, come. By and by, you'll be made to know he's the one who made you willing to come. And so, beloved, if you can hear and understand... There's nothing to prevent you from coming. But that in no way implies that Christ died for every man, woman, and child. It simply means that all for whom he died are called, are made willing, and are given a thirst, made to be hungry, and are called to repentance and faith. Turn with me to John chapter 6. And listen here to God's own word. In John chapter 6, verse 39, our Lord declares, And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again in the last day. This is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. God's elect, God's chosen people, the whosoever wills, are those for whom our Lord gave his life. Our Lord declares, 
Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. You see, the elect are the whosoever wills. It's only the elect that's hungry. It's only the elect that's thirsty. And my friend, if you've been made thirsty, you weren't born thirsty. You have been made thirsty, made hungry, made willing by God's gift and grace. God's word declares, my people shall be willing in the day of my power. You read in the book of Revelations about the 144,000. And right after that, the number that no man could number, they're all the same people. But if his death is not a particular sacrifice for his particular people, then it cannot be effectual. My friend, if his death is not particular, then it can't be effectual. And if it's not effectual, there's no salvation for you or for me. Any message that teaches and preaches that the Lord Jesus Christ merely accomplished the possibility of your salvation, that is now conditioned upon your decision, well, my friend, that's not the gospel. Who would get the glory in that? You would. Well, that's a false gospel made up by men. In the gospel of God, he teaches his people that he sent his son into the world to die and shed his blood for his chosen people out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And their salvation is conditioned on what God decided in eternity. Can you discern the Lord's death? Can you understand what his body and blood have to do with your salvation? Then you may partake of his table in a worthy manner. Now, not because you're worthy, but because you can discern the Lord's body. So you eat the bread and you drink the wine. My friend, if it's just a ceremony, if it's just a meaningless ordinance to you, leave it alone. But if you're here this morning and you believe and you understand what the bread and the wine represents, then it ought to be the highest, most undeserved privilege on earth for you to take that bread and drink that wine and remember him. Remembering his death and remembering his shed blood, beloved, apart from Christ and him crucified, apart from his broken body and his precious blood, apart from that, there'd be no hope for you and there'd be no hope for me. What an undeserved privilege to remember what he did for me. The disciples must have sat around that table on that evening as he handed the bread and the wine to them, and they still didn't understand exactly what was going on or what it was all about, and further, what was about to take place shortly thereafter. But they did afterward. And I know they must have thought hard upon that first table when they sat down and he handed them that bread and wine and told them what it meant. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. The same night in which our Lord Jesus was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. 
And after the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the new testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And so, beloved, as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the gospel of the Lord's body. Indeed, not discerning the Lord's body. Amen.